0: Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're gonna to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Welcome to Faculty Feed. We have with us today Dr. Ryan Quinn from the College of Business. He's an Associate Professor of Management and Entrepreneurship. He's been at U L since 2013. But one of the interesting things I wanna start this discussion out with is his role as academic director of the Project on Positive Leadership. Ryan, welcome to Faculty Feed. Tell us about this. What is this program on positive leadership?
1: So the project on positive leadership was actually started, it was uh, Todd Moradian's brainchild. He's the dean of the College of Business currently, and he came about four and a half years ago to the uh, University of Louisville from uh, William & Mary. He wanted to create this uh, project on positive leadership because he was particularly interested in positive psychology, and the idea of character strengths proposed by people like Marty Seligman and Chris Peterson. Our mission at the Project on Positive Leadership is to increase positive leadership in the world. And we do that primarily by creating teaching tools and then delivering that instruction through other mechanisms uh, at the College of Business and in the university. So one of our primary partners is executive education. In addition to that, we also support research and build uh, communities create recognition for people who do exemplary acts of positive leadership. Increasing positive leadership is an important mission, especially in the world we live in today.
0: What specific lessons might there be for our faculty uh, who are listening to this? How how do they access these materials and and how, how might they learn from those?
1: Okay, so let me start with the easier of those two questions, and that's uh, on the website. (laughs) So if you go to the College of Business uh, listed under the centers there, the College of Business website, listed under the centers there, you'll find the project on positive leadership. We have an application into the provost's office in hopes of turning it from a project into a center this year. We'll see, knock on wood, hopefully that goes well. Um, But you can find that there. And so, if, for example, if you want to look up the tools, you go to the website, you click on Teach, and there's a repository of instructional tools you can select from. There's an app, a a smartphone app that we've developed for people who want to create communities who practice positive leadership together in real time. And it helps you select events in your life in which you want to practice it and then walks you through questions and you post it and get feedback from other people in the community. Um, So that's uh, an exciting teaching tool that's included in our repertoire and uh you know and then a number of other things as well uh programs that we're putting together so for example our new administrative director at the project on positive leadership is um uh, ramey we just hired her and she is helping me organize a i can't remember what the title of it is but in february we're going to have a teaching tool extravaganza to invite people to so they can come and learn about our resources and i'll probably you know Illustrate how to use them so people can see how they might use them in their own companies or classrooms or wherever they intend to use it and and we'll have a number of other events. Uh, we have Sue Ashford is coming uh, from the University of Michigan to speak on leadership. She has a new book on the power of flexing that recently was published. And we'll be doing some book groups and letting people in the university community who want to participate in that come. And I could go on and on. but um, No, that
0: sounds very exciting, though.
1: What does positive leadership look like being implemented by faculty? Leadership is an influence process that begins when a person exhibits at least one virtue with more excellence than they would have if they had conformed to accepted social conventions. Mm -hmm. But leadership is not complete until somebody else sees that, feels other praising emotions in response to it, and chooses to follow by either imitating or complying or building on what you've done. And so you'll notice in that It's, first of all, it doesn't control anything. The person who quote unquote leads in this definition may have no intention of leading. They may intend to lead, they may choose to be setting an example, but they might also just be saying, I just wanna be a better person and I'm going to show more courage or compassion or honesty or whatever in this situation. When they do it, whether intentionally or intentionally, people, if they're inspired and they follow, then leadership has occurred. So we're also arguing there's no leadership if no one follows. Specifically asked about faculty. Here's the thing, right? If I'm a department chair, I might exhibit leadership by going above and beyond to serve my faculty to help them succeed in their teaching or their research or whatever it is I do. However, let's imagine I'm an assistant professor. You know, I'm new and my job is mostly to hide in my, you know, office and type (laughs) (laughs) or in my lab or, you know, whatever it may be. And in that situation, you might think there's not much opportunity for me to lead here. I know that none of your listeners exist at universities that ever treat, uh, have faculty treat staff poorly. I'm sure they are all come from exemplary universities.
0: I have no doubt. None.
1: <laughs> but in this fictional world I'm uh, painting a picture of for you here, <laughs> where maybe sometimes that actually happens or maybe even is the norm in some situations, even an assistant professor could choose to lead by saying, you know what? In this situation where faculty may ignore or ostracize or speak down to or whatever to a staff member, I'm going to treat them with dignity and respect. Well, based on the definition I just gave you, that it's about exhibiting virtue with more excellence than you would have if you had conformed to the social norms, that's an attempt at leadership, whether the person intentionally attempted it or not. And if others see and follow, then leadership has happened.
0: Because they've influenced They have influenced by exactly. their behavior. In the right. absence of a title. Exactly. Let's talk about organizational culture and what it is, how you see it, what you would define it as, and then specifically roll into, okay, what can a leader deliberately do if they really believe the culture has to change?
1: When it comes to culture, we often talk about as beliefs as who we are, what we do around here. This is the way we do things, right? This is the way we think about things. and. A lot of times that gets taken for granted, so we don't even realize. It's often habitual, so the thought patterns that we have, we don't even realize we're having. So as a result, culture can be one of the most difficult things in an organization to change, part because it is so fundamental. I think there's also some self-interested arguments for why anybody should be interested in culture, because if it really affects my experiences, my beliefs, my actions, then I might want to be intentional about how I think about this influence that this world is having on me. So let me give an example. There was a young man who told this story to uh, my father. Um, he was he was either working on his undergraduate degree and going to and or yeah going to school and working while doing it, or he had just graduated and and had just started his first career. But you know right at the beginning, and he worked for a manufactured home company. And he said it was just a horrible, miserable environment to be in. Like not only, you know, just people just swear and say nasty things all the time, but on top of that, they were literally just mean to each other. And so if a person asked for help, instead of helping, they would like yell at them. Right. And he said, you know, it wasn't long before he was thinking about quitting his job, which I think is the response most of us would have, and is not entirely inappropriate <laughs> to think about what to do. But he stopped. And he asked himself, you know, well, what if I took responsibility for this? What if I changed my behavior in some way? And as he thought about that, he came up with this brilliant idea. And his idea was the next time I hear somebody ask for help before anyone can yell at them, I'm going to jump up, run across the room, even if they're on the complete opposite side of the office, and go help them before anybody can yell at them. And that was like just kind of this personal goal he set for himself. And so he waited, went to work the next day. And when the opportunity came, ran across the room and helped somebody. And everybody's like, who's that weird? Nobody said anything. They just watched, right? But uh, just kind of like, what's going on with that guy? And here's the thing about influence, leadership, is when you behave abnormally, we have to pay attention, right? That's a fundamental uh, principle about human perception and emotion and how it works right and so people have to make sense of this guy because he's behaving weird at least weird in that social environment so he just did it consistently every time somebody needed help he was out there helping and initially the effect was people thought he was weird the secondary effect with a little more time is that people started paying attention to him personally who is this guy what kind of person is he one of the things they noticed is he never swore and so the next effect was people just kind of stopped swearing around him. <laughs> Still swore at everybody else, and were mean everybody else, but they stopped swearing around we, him. <laughs> we understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, the nasty comments went down, helping people just started slowly following and doing it. And months later, when this young man reported on this story, he said, you know what's interesting? It's actually a really nice place to work now, and we're making a lot more money. Oh yeah! Wow. <laughs> and I, the reason I, I bring that out in answer to your question is, first of all, because bottom of the hierarchy, massive impact on the culture, right? And why should he be interested in that? Well, at least two reasons encapsulated in his final summary of the story that he told. One is he didn't have to quit. He liked working there now. Yeah. And number two is they made more money.
0: What a great story. What I'm struck by is that this was not the president of the company created a subcommittee to study swearing (laughs) and the lack of helping, and then they wrote a policy on this, and then they had a big meeting where they rolled out the policy, and then everything got better, right? How many times have we seen that kind of thing happen, and nothing gets better? The message for all of us is that no matter where we are in, in a hierarchy, in a system, we have the ability to impact, to influence the things around us, and by demonstrating virtue, and by choosing to be deliberate about that and not asking for anything from those actions, just doing it, that with time it sort of brings people along in, in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And so there's is a powerful example of how this really works. And so no matter where you are, brand new assistant professor, a uh, gratis faculty, uh, a person who is part time and, and shows up at the university only when, when uh, you have to teach a class, The impact that you could have is just an amazing thing, and I think we mostly underestimate that.
1: As a leader, a formal leader, a person in a position of power, it's my responsibility to create experiences for people that help them all to adopt good beliefs. As a formal leader in a formal position who has responsibility by virtue of the power I've been given, it's my responsibility to be asking myself the question, what experiences should I be trying to give my employees so that they can have beliefs that are productive, collaborative, and helpful, and not the beliefs that a lot of people are going to take after all the threats that we've experienced over the past two years.
0: The pandemic hits year and a half, almost two years ago now. A leader of an organization, but let's just say for us, the leader of the University of Louisville, so the president, Uh, because of the obligation that she would have as the designated leader to be responsible for culture, could she not look for places within the system where somehow it just worked? They adapted quickly. In fact, the the content is being delivered rapidly through a virtual system. The students love it. They're, They're learning. They get good feedback on it. And how do they use those kinds of things? So they didn't have to create that. But they might have to find it. So can you talk about identifying experiences and then how does how does a leader what do they do with that? Great
1: learning typically preceded by great questions. Faculty know how to ask incisive questions and to get at like the real issues. So if I ask you, you know, why are you so generously helping all these other people get their classes online? A lot of us aren't really have never really thought about it before. Right. And so the answers we give. They may be what we believe, but they're maybe perfunctory or not fully accurate, not because we're bad people or we're lying, just because it's not something we really think about before or understand the influences that affect us. But a good, curious, well-trained faculty member can like not take just the first answer, can dig deeper, can ask the next question, right? And so can others as well. But since we're talking to faculty here, like yeah, this great. is an advantage you have if you want to be a leader, and especially a leader in a formal position of power, that's an advantage you have that you can use if it's wielded in an appropriate way. There's a lot of really interesting research on what power does to the psychology of the people who hold the power, and not all of it is positive. <laughs> One of the things is there's this huge action bias. The more power you have, the more tendency you have to be you know, action-oriented. If the world goes topsy-turvy with race riots and pandemics and all the other you know, natural disasters and supply chain <laughs> problems and you know whatever else, we may feel this incredible urgency to act when what we ought to do is slow down. We'll actually go faster in the long run by slowing down and thinking it through and, and getting it right and listening and learning and understanding. Big mistake is that we jump to the conclusion that we know what the answers are instead of letting people question our assumptions and push us on it. One of the most courageous things a leader can do is slow down when everyone wants you to speed up. That's super hard.
0: You're in the midst of writing an article or have submitted an article. It's entitled, How Did You Do That? Exploring the Motivation to Learn from Others' Exceptional Success. Can you tell us about that and how it might relate to what leaders ought to know? That
1: actually started when uh, Stephanie Simmons, fabulous emergency room doctor, who then got hired to uh, run major portions of an emergency room staffing company. She went to a uh, executive education program on positive, uh, positive organizations and positive leadership. And she said, you should study us. Basically what we did is we, we uh, collected stories of emergency room failures, emergency room successes, An emergency room exceptional successes. The ones that, you know, like some kid falls on the handlebar of the bike and it impales them. And like the injury is such that most kids would die from it. And this one doctor, you know, in the spur of the moment comes up with a solution and saves a kid's life. And then we just measured their motivation to learn from these different kinds of stories. And, and based on previous research we predicted, people generally want to learn from failure because they don't want to repeat it, right? right. <laughs> right? But success is kind of expected, right? And so then we, uh, we, the question, the part that was new, is we're like, well, what about unexpected success? What about exceptional uh, success? Yeah. Does that inspire learning? And the answer was, um, yes, it does. The practical implication of this is that yes, of course we should learn from failure and we even should learn from normal success, but the motivation in organizations is to perform, not to learn, right? right? And if we need people to learn, one way to do that without embarrassing people or you know, creating problems first or whatever else is to give them exceptional successes. Tell them the stories of the exceptional successes and, and um, help them to learn from those because it does create curiosity when they encounter those.
0: So as we're trying to wrap this up, what we like to do in the podcast is to leave the listeners with some practical tips, some takeaways. What would you recommend to faculty? And, and for now, let's just talk faculty in the academic world. So they're in higher education in some, some manner, at an undergraduate level or at a graduate level. What would you tell them that you've distilled now in nearly 20 years of an academic thinking about leadership and writing about leadership? What would you tell them that they ought to work on this week when they listen to this podcast? pick
1: the virtue that's hardest for you. Identify some events where it's likely to be hard for you in the next week
0: and practice.
1: Right? Wow. And here's the thing I'll say about it, it's worth it. The fact is is a lot of us I think avoid it because I have to admit I'm wrong and I have to, yes. you know, work against my natural instincts. When somebody tells us, you know, you need to be more honest or courageous or patient or kind or you know whatever it is, we often take that as an insult, right. but we can actually flip that around and say, what an opportunity to make my life and make the world a better place if I would actually be intentional and concrete about this and really actually give it a little
0: bit of time. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be, as together we strive to make of a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Join us next time for more. And come hungry.